This is the Saxo Market Call. Daily insights on what is moving the financial markets. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It's Tuesday, 20th of December, 2022. Big shocker overnight. We have the Bank of Japan moving to tweak its yield curve control policy, lifting that 10-year cap on JGBs from 25 basis points to 50 basis points. The market really wasn't expecting anything here, clearly. <laughs> there were no expectations for this move now. I think there was a general sense and, and all the noise suggesting that the Bank of Japan would look eventually to tweak policy and and move it to in the coming year, especially under a new governor once Kuroda's term ends in April. So that was a, a front running what the market was expecting. It's a really odd set of developments, though, because you have this tweak to policy. The, the policy rate itself uh, at minus 10 basis points was not changed. Uh, but then the subsequent uh, comments from Kuroda just seem a bit odd. And also, there's some criticism out for him, I think justifiably so, and that he was seemed to be really sticking to his guns, and now suddenly they're going to tweak the policy. But he's saying things like, well, it's too early to consider an exit or a policy review. So it's sort of indicating this is just a small tweak. This is not really any sort of a comprehensive review of our policy. This is not a rate hike. Uh, I think markets would, would beg to differ. And uh, yeah, but I think there's a twofold impact. So of course, there's the impact itself. It, it does move 10-year yields in Japan, 25 basis points higher. That does close the spread. That is yen supportive. We have seen a big yen move. But as well as a knock-on effect to global bond yields elsewhere, we saw the U.S. 10-year up uh, 10 plus basis points at one point overnight uh, before easing back. And then just the fact that they moved it all uh, sets up, it just loosens the market's reaction function around if, if global yields do start to march higher, the market has some evidence now that the Bank of Japan is capable of, of moving. So, you know, and then I think the impact it comes a little bit more on top of what you would expect because other central banks are actually moving the opposite direction and starting to decelerate what they're anticipating in terms of guidance. And uh, you also have energy prices down. If energy prices were marching higher again, for example, this would not, uh, you know, this move would be look, would be seen as rather modest. So it is what it is. Uh, it comes also at an awkward time because we're coming into the end of the year in liquidity, Peter, and uh, the market not really appreciative here. I think a lot of that in the U.S.'s case simply on the, the yield impact here. So we see futures a bit lower uh, overnight here. Yeah, the decision came as momentum was already significantly negative in the S&P 500, as you can see with those S&P 500 futures that you have uh, highlighted on slide two, John. Uh, we're pushing... We're pushed below the 50% retracement level already on the close yesterday. And we've extended the move today also in Asia. Chinese equities are down. European equities are down. And, and the Bank of Japan's decision, call it what you want, but it's directional tightening of financial conditions. And I think it, it sets up the market for expectations that Japan will do more. Why, why would Japan be the only insulated country in the entire world that is not hit by everything that is happening? So I think that it just sets in motion a chain reaction here. Um, the timing of that, we'll, <clears throat> we'll see. And if you look at the theme baskets, the high duration themes like cybersecurity, energy storage, bubble stocks, next-gen medicine, we're all uh, losing a lot yesterday, as you can see in our theme baskets overview on slide two. So, well, it, it just adds to the story. Thin liquidity, the, the positive story on CPI has been busted. And now this surprise move by Bank of Japan, not a lot of good stories to say the least in the equity market and on slide three if the currency absorbs more of these 
changed expectations. A very export-oriented country and equity market like Japan, of, of course, will react to that. And we're already seeing that very sharp reaction in Indikai 225 futures. And I'm just asking the question. And of course, it's uh, it's many, and oftentimes in a short time frame, it's more the currency that dictates where the equity market will go. So I could ask you the question, John, if the yen uh, continues to to push uh, higher against the dollar and the euro, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Nikkei go down and test those lows from at 25,000, which will be the, the low end of that range from the breakout when we... Um, which we got in the late 2020 after the vaccine announcement. So big news there for Japanese equities. Yeah, and uh, to, on the Japan, on the Japanese yen front, I would suspect it's going to depend quickly once we sort of settle and and get some two-way price action and absorbing this move from the Bank of Japan. It'll depend on whether global yields are continuing to shift uh, higher or lower. I, I think there still can be some pressure on the yen or some pushback on this move uh, if yields come back higher, and I think our scenario generally is that the market or, or the economy will be running hotter and inflation will be running hotter than the market anticipates around the soft landing scenario. We recorded a special podcast yesterday that we'll be rolling out uh, in coming days of, instead of a daily podcast discussing what the uh, the market's wish list is for next year and our suspicions about the things that it is not going to get on that wish list, one of those being a, a, a recession here now or a slowdown here now uh, in inflation uh, certainly, this this whole uh, anticipation of a yield curve steepening by yield cuts, I think, is premature. So, uh, yeah, it, it, and it moves against again against the sort of general direction of the market. So it comes uncomfortable. Uh, it, it feels uncomfortable. Just briefly, uh, skip ahead to slide five. You can see the Bank of Japan's the JGB holdings, and you can see one of the reasons for this move. They had to reaccelerate their purchases to defend those yield curve uh, that yield curve control policy out to ten years on the yield curve and had accumulated more than half a quadrillion yen. That's I think it's the only uh, currency or market where we talk about anything in terms of a unit of quadrillion, but per, for perspective, that's around four plus trillion dollars uh, of JGBs that they're holding uh, at the current exchange rate. And uh, the 10 year yield did jump, of course, higher. I'm surprised it didn't jump all the way to the 50 basis points level, but I assume it will in the coming days and weeks. All right, let's uh, let me just, uh, and, and of course, we roll forward to the uh, FX slide there on slide six. You can see the impact new lows for dollar yen here, locally speaking, below that prior low water mark. And below 133, the next big area into 130, I would argue, for dollar yen. You can see the traffic there on the way back up. Uh, and elsewhere, uh, you're seeing impacts. Uh, generally, the dollar actually was relatively bid overnight, just as a safe haven currency in the crosses the yen move was even bigger. So euro yen, Aussie yen, et cetera. Interesting move. And I think something like the Aussie, if I roll back again to slide four, is looking at these Chinese activity levels. And I just had a thought. I was listening to a podcast, uh, Jim Bianco over at Macro Voices. I mentioned this statistic that you can actually track the daily activity level for the Chinese economy in the form of these metro daily passenger volumes for various large cities. Put two of those up on slide four. The what I put up was the seven day moving average because you get the daily figures and the weekends make it look crazy. So seven day moving average, you can see where Beijing is, uh, you know, operating on something like a reduction of seventy five percent relative to where it was before this big acceleration in COVID cases. And even Shanghai is coming in lower as well. And there and others are in different phases of of uh, lower activity levels. This isn't on lockdowns as much as it is people just staying away and and staying out of the, the public uh, normal sort of act, public activity or activity in public and taking public transportation. 
And I was just looking at what what is what are the calendar considerations here and how did the previous waves of COVID that hit other countries, you know, the, the time from sort of the beginning of the acceleration of cases to the big deceleration. So it's about a month, about a month from when they start accelerating to peak and then about a month on the other side of that. And if we look forward to uh, the calendar year, it, in the January 23rd of next year is the Chinese Lunar New Year holiday. And I'm suspecting they want to just get these cases and this virus well on the decline by that January 23rd date. So I wonder if that's the consideration here. And we have to remember that this uh, these case waves do operate on a pretty rapid time scale, not many months, but maybe a month on either side of the peak. All right, with that out of the way, talking China, we have to talk commodities, and we're still all watching and waiting next year for what's going to happen with Chinese demand. I think that's got to be a key focus uh, in your space over it is indeed, John. And uh, as you just uh, mentioned there, the the impact, uh, we have a short-term impact now on the, the virus uh, acceleration. And uh, as you also said, the uh, that, that impact is, is potentially not lasting uh, for more than anywhere between one and three months. Uh, but uh, it will have an impact in the, in the short term. And that's why we, we've seen a little bit more muted re- reaction in markets recently. But I just highlighted today on slide seven, the copper market, because... Um, it's drifting a little bit lower on on the news from China, but at the same time, we still keep an eye on what's happening in uh, in Panama, where where the uh, the biggest mine uh, Peter mentioned earlier in, uh, in the week um, is basically moving towards a a close down because the the mine uh, mining operator uh, First Quantum has been ordered to uh, to cease uh, production, basically because there's a dispute over tax payments, and uh, that mine basically accounts for 1.5% of global copper output. So um, if we don't get a solution on that, uh, then then we could see uh, supply start to, to tighten even further. And uh, that will obviously underpin prices. So uh, so uh, it's basically a market, as I've said in the headline, focus on China in, in regards to demand and Panama with regards to supply. Okay, and then on the natural gas front, some more news here. Mild weather certainly hitting here. I don't know if I like this mild weather, though, because it means a lot of rain. But the, the rain is back. The wind is back. So we have like power prices tumbling again. Uh, any any refresh on that, uh, on the outlook there? Yeah, just, just uh, the, the, the price cap that was finally agreed yesterday um, at 180 euros per megawatt hour is not really going to have any any impact. Also, considering that the uh, the implementation date is not until uh, mid-February next year, so so it's not going to have an impact for on this winter. And I suppose next uh, next winter there is still probably some uh, just a small hope that uh, this uh, crisis in Ukraine can, to a certain extent, be resolved before then, and we can we could have a pickup in in supply from Russia. So um, it's there. It's uh it's, it's meant to be a handbrake just in case the market goes complete haywire once again. But considering uh, some of the Data we've seen come in from Bloomberg Intelligence, basically looking for a 50 billion cubic meter drop in the European gas demand in 22. That's a 12 to 15 percent drop, and it, it equates to 37 percent of Russian 2021 imports. So just highlights how the, the slowdown in in demand from industrial use and from consumers just uh, keeping their that could demand down and also the milder weather in the autumn, how, what kind of impact it's had on, on gas demand. So basically at this point in time, gas flows into Europe is only down around 10% year on year. And that's more than uh, being offset by the slowdown we're seeing in demand. So uh, it's looking okay now for the for this coming winter. Next winter is obviously still a key focus. Okay. And focus on uh, next year, we are our outraged predictions theme is the so-called war economy. And uh, as part of that, of course, you have Europe needing to build up its defensive measures ahead of this or after this Russian invasion of Ukraine. 
So it was an interesting story you highlighted today, Peter. I wasn't aware of this on your stocks to watch today on slide nine, this uh, Rheinmetall and something about some infantry vehicles that are that have been problematic. Yeah, the, <clears throat> the news flow out of Rheinmetall is, is quite considerable. Yesterday, they announced a, a big new ammunition factory uh, being you know, built in, in Germany as fast as possible. And yesterday and, and today, we have a, a, a fall in the, in the share of Rheinmetall because the defense minister, Lambrecht, uh, uh, from Germany is saying that there are a lot of apparently a lot of defects in inventory vehicles in in Germany and they need to be fixed and speed is of the essence as it's being said by the defense minister and that means potentially penalties and and extra overhead costs to fix that for Rheinmetall and the defense industry but I think this is just noise in the short term long-term outlook for Rheinmetall is extremely strong and generally the uh, the European defense industry and you just saw the US announcing its defense or military budget the uh, the other day I think it was raised to was it somewhere between 800 and 850 billion dollars uh, and Europe is pushing through as well and I read some news yesterday that the um, the announcement around the weapons industry and building out new ammunition and weapons factory in Europe is accelerating. I think what has taken time this year is a lot of planning. I think there's a lot of planning when you go from an entire industry and continent Europe set up for peacetime and then you have an adversary uh, to the east suddenly moving into and escalating into the biggest war since World War II. You need to do the right plans for which type of weapon systems, what type of uh, ammunition do we want to prioritize and build out? Uh, I think Europe will, based on what I'm seeing in the news flow, I think Europe in 2023 will accelerate to a, a totally different gear and speed in terms of both production and capabilities. Uh, I don't think we should underestimate that. And then the other stock to watch today is Tesla. So yesterday the vote ended that uh, Elon Musk had set in motion on Twitter whether he should step down as CEO or not. Uh, 58% voted yes, and now he has said that uh, any major new decision will only be allowed uh, in terms of voting for, for Bluebirds, the ones that are paying this subscription fee or whatever, uh, to have some uh, better optionalities on, on on Twitter's network. And 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 right now there's still a lot of uncertainty. So if you if you look at the price action yesterday in in Tesla, the shares were initially uh, rallying, and that was because everyone falsely i think hoping that uh, elon musk would uh, would step down as he promised but i think he has a long very long record i know a lot of the fanboys out there they they seem to ignore this but he has a very long track record of not uh, keeping his word on a lot of things and just basically uh, yeah not uh, not pro not following up on, on his promises and i think that will turn out to be the case here he's staked 44 billion dollars in a rising interest rate environment and uh, other s of his assets being under pressure i think it's a uh, quite paramount for him to to get twitter to succeed and he's not willing to to step down anytime soon so um i think we will see renewed pressure on tesla shares in today's trading all right and then we have two interesting names on today's earnings watch nike and fedex fedex that has to be interesting i suppose on that it must be giving some sense of forward guidance on this whole uh, christmas season or holiday season in the u.s and to what degree their their delivery levels are probably down from the prior year because of all the uh, stimulus-related pandemic checks that were out and the, the more the focus on the physical side of deliveries and physical demand rather than services demand last year when that's that's changed a bit this year. Yeah, and there's a big overhang of the uh, resources that have been deployed to expand capacity, invest in new trucks, fulfillment centers, etc. Fuel prices are high. It's not easy to be FedEx. And 
you can say the bar has been set pretty low for FedEx. Uh, if you look at the forward estimates from analysts, they expect zero revenue growth in the next couple of quarters. So I think the bar has been set very low for FedEx to actually achieve a meaningful surprise here to the upside. And they will report after the market close. And then Nike is the other one we have in our earnings focus today. One of the pandemic stocks that have really come down hard. It's a, quite a brutal chart, to say the least. More than 50% down at the lows before the recent rally uh, kicked off. Um, and, and Nike? Nike is a stock that is typically very popular among hedge funds, investors, long-term investors, and, and, and analysts because they it's the company that has done the best among all the sports retailers of sports uh, brands. By far, it's done, done better than Adidas also during the pandemic. Always had a high uh, equity valuation. And in the past couple of weeks, there have been a lot of sell-side increases to the price target and the the expectations for revenue and, and earnings and even margins for next year. I think the bar has been set maybe a little bit uh, too high for Nike relative to the underlying macro environment. I could be uh, I could be wrong on this, but I think I think the bar is set a little bit too high for Nike. But uh, let's see, they will also report after the market close. All right, two interesting names to watch there. The, the macro calendar today not so interesting. We're going to get the usual uh, housing starts and building permits data out of the U.S. These are probably not going to be very strong. We all know the impact of these uh, you know rising mortgage rates will continue to pressure the U.S. housing market. And uh, yeah, the other stuff, the Canadian retail sales always so delayed. Consumer confidence in the Eurozone is surely at some point reflects the strong labor market, but then you have the inflation side of things. So how does that balance out? And then the, the first uh, this week's uh, weekly uh, crude oil and fuel inventory reports, the API today ahead of tomorrow's uh, Department of Energy numbers and the, con- the consumer confidence number out of the U.S. yesterday. Yesterday, How about tomorrow? And then we have Friday's main focus uh, for the rest of this week and the last real data point of the year, to my mind, that PC inflation number for November. Uh, again, Friday in the U.S. But yeah, let's see how this, this move by the Bank of Japan that has unsettled markets, if it continues to see some follow through, or if the market can find some kind of equilibrium here after a pretty vicious slide over the last few sessions. We'll see where things stand tomorrow at the next Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com. <laughs>